After three terms in the Missouri House, Michael Butler was elected as St. Louis's recorder of deeds. But he might be the last elected official to hold this post if a city-county merger plan goes into effect. Butler joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking to talk about Better Together's plans and how he wants to overhaul the citywide office. Let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... St. Louis Public Radio reporter, Rachel Lippman. And this is the greatest day. (laughs) (laughs) It's the greatest day for Jason Rosenbaum. Oh, man. I can't believe I get to witness this moment. This is the best. Because our special guest today is... Michael Butler, recorder of deeds for the city of St. Louis. This, I mean, we have had other recorder of deeds on. (laughs) Every day is a good day when Jason gets to talk about recorder mania. But as, but as, but as uh, Scott Ogilvie said, nobody covers the machinations of the recorder of deeds in St. Louis like Jason Rosenbaum. That is true. It's your niche, Jason. You fit it well. So, um, welcome back to the show. This is your third time on the show. The other two times you were a state legislator, but now you are a citywide official, and. Um, we want to talk a little bit about how you got here because we didn't really cover your race in depth. And this is kind of an opportunity to go back into the gory details of how you won a citywide race. So before we do that, and I know people may know what a recorder of deeds does, it just just explain what your office does and why it's important very, to everyday people. Very good point. Um, and that's actually was part of the beginning of the campaign. Uh, we decided early on, the, early on in the campaign, if we just let people know what the recorder of deeds does, we, we most likely would win the race. Um, uh, the the past recorder had not done a very good job of that. So what the recorder deeds office does is we deal with birth, death, marriage certificates. Uh, if you need your your birth certificate copy or to apply for one, you uh, or, or death certificate, marriage certificate, you come to our office. We also handle all the land deeds. Those are the land records of the city of St. Louis and all the archives of the city, all the history of the city. So all of the important documents that are held within our uh, within our city, uh, we we handle it and we we store those. We keep them safe and then we we, we provide them for you whenever you need them later on in life. So. I've been. I was talking with you offline before you decided to run for this. I got a sense that even though you got you had some success in Jefferson City, you were on the budget committee. Mm-hmm. I think you made it to House leadership eventually. Yes. Mm-hmm. But being a Democrat in Jefferson City, especially if you have a lot of ideas and want to do stuff, can mm-hmm. be a very frustrating experience because there. you're so deep in the minority. Whereas. The city of St. Louis is heavily Democratic, mm-hmm. even though the Recorder of Deeds office has, I would say, a somewhat limited scope. You can still use that office as a way to be involved politically and make make a big difference. I would assume that was one of the reasons you decided to leave early out of the house and go this route. Is that fair to say? Being effective is definitely one of the main reason why I decided to come to City Hall. Um, being in the legislature, uh, starting at the age of 26, and then even being in leadership as the caucus chair of the Democrats, I it didn't seem like I was able to get things done that I wanted to. Um, I went to Jefferson City, wanted to reduce crime in the city of St. Louis, wanted to pass funding for the neighborhood ownership model. I 
was looking to pass a jobs program that helped for to get people to get jobs um, as well as uh, improve our education system. Now, we were able to get a lot more money for education for CS St. Louis and some money for early childhood education, um, but reducing crime and getting the jobs program for St. Louis just didn't come to fruition. So I felt like I could come to back to City Hall and make some do some things locally. How does um, you know you're talking about well you couldn't accomplish it at the at the at the state level in Jefferson City, um, reducing crime, neighborhood ownership model, education funding. How do you do that in an office that you said deals with just these vital records oh, kind of I, thing? So I, I no longer have that responsibility. So I, I'm not looking to uh, re- reduce crime and provide jobs for folks uh, through the recorded deeds office. I think, I think the point I was making is in the legislature. Right. I wasn't able to to get things done that I, that I wanted to. I, I, I had a, a vision. I had a plan going to Jefferson City. Um, I had a lot of vigor at at, in tw- at 26 years old. Of uh, you know, I, I was able to save the world. Even though I, being a, a, a staffer, I knew that it takes some time. Being in the super minority did not allow me to do that. Yeah. And um, uh, go, driving back and forth to Jefferson City, um, you know, ha- having when I started, I was a single man with and in, 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 with not needing a lot of income. By the time I left, I was 32 years old with a with a wife and child, um, so that weighed on me every day. The fact that I'd leave my family and it wasn't really for uh, a lot of effectiveness. I, I got to add a little a, a little a wrinkle in there. Mm-hmm. When I first got elected, there were several other Republicans who were my age who got elected, and those guys are now rock stars in Jefferson City. So, like who, for example? Elijah Harv was yeah. like the same year as me. He's now the Speaker of the House. Scott Fitzpatrick was elected the same year as me. He was the budget chair at the time. Now he's the state chair, treasurer. Caleb Rowden was elected the same year as me. Caleb uh, moved over to the Senate and is now in leadership in the Senate. I mean, I, and I can go on and on about some folks who are now committee chairs doing well. Mm-hmm. I began to look at myself and as well as some of my other uh, colleagues uh, out there, uh, our, the best Democrat in Jefferson City is no, hands down is John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Representative John Carpenter is one of the smartest people. He, he was 25 when he was elected and I was 26. Uh, we began, I began thinking about, you know, if, if we were in the majority, we'd be those guys. We would... It wouldn't be it wouldn't be as hard to drive two hours if I'm the speaker. Or if you of the lived house. in Illinois, <laughs> you lived in Illinois, you, you would be speaker. Of, you could be well. You wouldn't be speaker. You wouldn't of the be speaker house of the house right now. You get what I'm talking That's about. That's not to take anything away from those guys. Those guys are very smart. Those guys are are, 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 are good leaders. Those guys they get they they're able to get their agenda through. Um, and I think comparing those to just the difference between the majority and the minority, we weren't able to uh, see our our vision for Missouri come to fruition as we wanted to when we first started out as they can. And then uh, I thought was, I'd be more effective and not have to ask so many Republicans <laughs> for a vote if I came home to City Hall and, and we became an executive. So let's talk about 2018 in August. You ran against the incumbent, Sharon Quigley Carpenter, and she had a rough 2014 where mm-hmm. she had to resign due to nepotism issues and then filed as, a, I guess, a Democrat, won that primary, mm-hmm. and then beat the incumbent uh, recorder of deeds, uh, Jennifer Florida, and in the primary, I think. No, I think she uh, Jennifer General. Florida was yeah. an independent. Correct. And, okay. Uh, and then okay. Carpenter won the Democratic primary, and then, and then Carpenter the won. Okay. So I mean, correct. I mean, whatever you think about Sharon Carpenter, that was a, an impressive accomplishment. Um, I do think it's difficult to be elected as an independent citywide, but at, after going through all that drama and still emerging as the recorder of deeds, you got to tip your hat. On the other hand, I got a sense four years later that when she decided to run again, even some people that were generally allied with her historically were kind of like, eh, 
maybe we need to try something new, which kind of manifested in the election results where you ended up beating her and also winning in places where she was traditionally stronger, or at least competing in places where you're traditionally strong, like Southwest St. Louis. Very true. I, I, so the political atmosphere in St. Louis has changed quite a bit over over, year, over the years. Um, it definitely was, there was an appetite for a, for a new recorder in 2014. I, one thing, I think there was a myth that Sharon Carpenter was unbeatable, number one. It definitely in 2018, part of that was in 2014. The truth is in 2014, Jennifer Florida just ran a very bad race. And um, she didn't come to the north side hardly at all. Sharon Carpenter actually won black wards 60 to 40 in most black wards in, 20, in 2014. Which, again, as a southwest side candidate, is extremely impressive. A, a lot of and, and a lot of African Americans had never met Jennifer Florida and didn't meet her the entire time during the citywide campaign. I, um, I, I, I get really, really angry at a lot of campaigns that run that way mm-hmm. that uh there's there's a notion of str- strategy for for a lot of folks in, Sa- in st louis that um if they just win the south side that they're going to win the whole thing and if they spend most of their money on the south side we saw this in the with the soccer stadium campaign for some, in some parts saw this with prop p in some points we saw this um uh in in some statewide campaigns that they don't need to come north they don't need to waste their money north side and that's what happened. And I think I think Jennifer Floor was very shocked that Sharon won a, won won quite a bit on the north side. Um, I flipped that, so I won all the pretty much all the north side wards, and we did very well in the in South City. Um, we averaged about thirty two percent in in the deep South Side, um, and we also uh, won quite a few South Side wards and uh, did very well in the, did well in North City. So uh, I we knew that going in. From day one, that we can we can do those numbers. I actually we actually did underestimated some of her support. We we had, I actually thought I was gonna get to maybe 56, 57 percent of the vote. What was your final win total? By 50. the way, fifty point nine yeah percent of the vote. Um, couldn't give you that the exact number. Um, but I, I won by almost ten points. Well, uh, well, you talked about the changing nature of St. Louis politics, and one thing that I've noticed since two thousand thirteen, like Louis Reed ran for mayor, he got like. 15% in like mm-hmm. the 16th ward mm-hmm. and probably similar numbers in 23 and 12. We're really seeing now that an African-American candidate, they go into some of these 99% white wards and they're regularly getting 30 and 40%. You look at Carla May too. Corey Bush did very Corey well. Corey Bush did the, the same, same thing. Carla May did very well. So is, Kelly so Franks did too as well. So is it just a situation that white voters are more amenable to voting for black candidates? now? Or is the, they, are the populations of the wards changing? Yeah. The population is absolutely changing. Yeah. Um, Without giving away too many of my campaign secrets, oh, I, man. Think that, <laughs> I think a lot of we keep of trying folks, to do this, and it keeps failing every <laughs> we, effort we make. We've really failed at this, oh, but. man. <laughs> I think a lot of and it, a lot of folks that used to live in Central West End now were in their twenties are now in their thirties, and they're moving to Southwest City, mm-hmm. and they're moving to uh, you know the near, the near South City. We saw the fifteenth ward change for quite a bit, and elect Megan Elliott Green, and uh, recently, and and that ward has become a a standstill and, and and the the epitome of progressive politics, and that's Florida's old ward, right next to Fifteenth Ward. You're right, and right next to Fifteenth Ward is the Tenth Ward, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a, a big race going on that automatic uh, in that automatic campaign. That Volmer versus Patrick Hickey, I think. Uh, yeah. Is the name? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody's really nobody's really thinking about it, but that the the Tenth is very similar to the Fifteenth. A lot of folks are moving. Twenty Fourth Ward, we saw with Scott Ogilvie winning a race a while back. 
was was a part of that as a, as folks moving to Southwest City. You got Tom Oldenburg in the 16th Ward, who's a, a younger face, who's uh, who, who's and sometimes a little different than the folks who've been there before. But there are quite a few wards out there that Tashar did very well in uh, during the mayor's campaign. Corey Bush did really blew out the water in her congressional campaign, and uh, and even I did very well in, uh, in in the recorder deeds campaign. Well, this is kind of a weird question because I think sometimes St. Louis politicians get put into kind of arbitrary boxes, like they're the progressives oh, or yes. the status quo. It seems like you're kind of a hybrid of that because you kind of have progressive thinking, but you may have some more old school political mentality to you. Is that that's kind of why I don't like calling people progressives or non-progressives because it's. It's kind of a weird, arbitrary thing. I think I mean it's an it's an, it's an easy way to do the age kind of distinction too, as a lot of the ones but, but coming I, in but, are but, but, I mean, much but, younger. But I'm interested in your take on that because that always seems to dominate. Uh, you know, I agree. Surface level discourse, and I'm, I, I've always, I've never really liked that. To be I, honest. I think I really try not to get put in a box. I think when, when you get put in a box, you don't think about what's right for the people. When you think about what's right for your political personality or for what your uh your 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 click or your funk or your your faction wants you, you you tend to think less about what the legislation will actually do and what it will do long term short term or or who will affect so um i agree I, I a lot of people say i'm a good mix between the old and the new um i i, I respect that i think i think i i try to uh, look at issues and look at uh, what's good for the city and not necessarily what's good for just a party or just a, a faction of the party. So let's talk about your transition into office because you're basically taking over an office that's been held by the same person since what, 1980? Yeah. 1980. Yes. Which I think is unprecedented. I was not born in 1980. Neither, Neither was, was I. I. Neither was I. <laughs> and just before we get to this, uh, just before we talk about it generally, there has been lawsuits uh, from employees that were let go i understand you really can't talk about it because it's under litigation right i really now. would like to make a comment but i can't um uh, i what i can say is that i i've witnessed a more professional atmosphere in the office um i think that uh our office is uh setting the tone for for the future we're, we're forward thinking we're much more forward thinking now we have some goals and objectives and long-term goals that we we, we like to reach and we're going to be starting a, a strategic planning process next month for a four-year strategic plan for the office to uh, to pretty much transform the office where it won't look the same yeah. as what it was. So, so I mean, obviously, like the the we we have this conversation a lot with sort of the the city-wide offices where the powers of it are fairly prescribed by charter. As you mentioned, you deal a lot with the land deeds, birth, death, marriage mm-hmm. certificates. It sounds like pushing a lot of paper around, mm-hmm. and you know, a very use uh, necessary and and um, required way. Mm-hmm. So. People hear strategic plan for the recorder of deeds office, and I think they go, why do you need a strategic plan to handle, you know, what is, could, could be considered a ministerial office? You're just in charge could, of records. Could be considered. So we're, right now, you can't, if you need a birth certificate, you have to go down to City Hall to get it. If you need, uh, when, when you are when you decide to get married, you have to go down to City Hall and get it. If, you, if you're, if, you, if one of your uh, family members passes away and you need a, one document, a death certificate, you got to go to City Hall to get it. We want to. My vision is that you no longer have to go to City Hall to access your city government. That you can access those those items online, the same as you access your bank account, the same as you access any, any your healthcare, your, your or anything else you you do online. People, if they have to go to City Hall, they're not happy with their experience. If they if they're able to do something online and in the comfort of the home in their own underwear, then they are much more happy with the experience. And that's the biggest difference between 
myself in the past recorder. And it's going to take a lot of strategic planning to get that. Well, going. I want to talk about the online stuff because I actually dealt with this in St. Louis County. Both of my children were born in St. Louis County. I need to get a birth certificate and I used the online service, which was great because I, I didn't want to say I did it in my underwear per se, <laughs> but I was able to do it from home and I didn't have to go to Clayton to do it. On the other hand, there was like a fee and a surcharge for that. And also there's the whole issue that some people in St. Louis may not have internet and may not be able to do it that way. So I'm not, I, obviously you're gonna still have the option to do yes. it in person, yeah. but what about the cost aspect? Because I think that that could be a potential concern oh, I, on, on putting a lot of these online. I agree, uh, including Gov, GovTech and, and surcharges and convenience fees is something that's very important to me and making sure those are low. Um, we'd never make the, them higher than what it is, what your cost would be to take a bus to City Hall or, 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 or to park at City Hall for an hour or two. Um, we'd make sure those costs are, are, are about the same or less. Um, and this is, I guess, just sort of a practical question, having not had to do marriage birth death certificates. I'm guessing it's just you requested online. I know you can't like print out official documents from a, a, like a 3D printer or something, but the process is you could request the official document to be sent to you. Yes, okay. exactly. So okay. that, that is that is the media goal that you'd be able to request it and then you'd be able to get a temporary copy like you do with a driver's license now. Or, or or car insurance card, and then the original will be sent to you within 30 days. Now, we have been talking to the Department of Health and Senior Services, so where where we like to uh, to provide is that to improve our state laws and to provide you at some point for you to be to verify correctly and put a firewall around to protect your, your information and to be able to provide you on a PDF that you can print off one day. That's years down the line, but that's what a strategic plan would, would be needed for. So if, if that is possible, our laws for these for these uh, documents are written back in this uh, last written uh, edited back in the 70s and 60s land records. I mean, uh, back in the 20s and 30s. So it's time to update these things to for electronic uh, filing and for uh, electronic means. A, a, a semi joking, but actually serious question related to the strategic plan. There is a joke in City Hall that the computer systems were, you know, are 30 years old, 40 years old, that it's kind of, you know, the original IBM Apple II GSs that we, some of us remember from elementary school. Can the infrastructure that's currently in place handle what you'd be asking it to do? And how does that fit into the budget that you would need to do this? Like, how do you fund all of these upgrades that are going to be needed? I got to see, I love this question. I love these questions. And I love this work. See, it's there's still things I can do. There's problems I can solve as a as a Capricorn, as someone who just loves solving problems. <laughs> we got but, into astrology here, yes, too. This, <laughs> is, this is, you know. I'm a cancer, out. by the way. I'm Gemini. <laughs> but hear me. I, it, um, but I don't have to add, I can answer these questions without saying, well, let me speak to the Speaker of the House about, you know, whether this is whether this is possible, or if I can have to get on somebody's agenda. So there are plenty of things we can do as a Recorder of Deeds office. Um, and the, it, can infrastructure handle it? Yes. Um, we have, we have um, one, we have servers within our office that can handle uh, quite a bit of changes. We also have uh, third-party vendors which we currently use that have helped us out with a lot of our, uh, for over the past years, has, have improved and updated some of our uh, systems. Um, their service can handle the changes we need. Um, now, when it comes to our archives, and we, which we haven't gotten to digitizing all of our archives, we're the oldest city in, in Missouri. We have a lot of uh, paper and a lot of old old documents down in the basement of the city hall that we have to um, restore. We have to scan, and then we have to uh, you know put them in, in digitally. That's going to be a tougher one for for where we're going to house that as far as infrastructure. So when when you talk about just our documents, yes. When you talk about providing documents to people, yes. When it comes to archives, that's when the question comes of where we can handle all of that. 
How nervous are you that your budget depends on it's not a fee office? You don't use the revenue that you take in for, you know, getting a birth certificate, a license, whatever. Are you worried that sort of the dynamics of your race, the dynamics of the politics at City Hall, with your budget being dependent on the Board of Aldermen, they're just going to be like, yeah, nope, we're not doing that <laughs> initiative. How do you work with aldermen, some of whom you've alienated, to to get what you need to do? And and th- there lies uh, part of therein lies part of the uh, the part where this is is part of a political office. It's not just an appointed office. So, and I think if this office wasn't an appointed office, you wouldn't be able to be more forward thinking. It would count on. It would get in line with all the other priorities um, of the mayor's office um, that would not be able to be uh, upgrade this office as quickly. Um, I have, I don't feel like I've alienated hardly anyone in, in, in the board of aldermen. I think I have a relationship with 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 a good relationship with, with most aldermen. Um, I also um, I also welcome the fact that we can that that I'd have to work together with my experience in the legislature. That working with other legislators in the board of aldermen, um, they're the keepers of our legislative branch, the keepers of the budget, and uh, they're they're elected by people as well. And if, the, if our, my priorities match up with theirs, I think we can work together very well. Well, that is a great segue to our next topic. So by the time this it. airs. Better Together will have released their plan to merge St. Louis and St. Louis County. And um, basically, uh, Mr. Recorder, the city of St. Louis disappears under this plan. Your office would basically be merged into the Recorder of Deeds office in the county. Which is an appointed Which is an appointed position. Mm -hmm. It is. Um, Basically, there would be a 33-person council governing this entity, which would be the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County St. Louis Metro is what they're calling it. It'll probably evolve into St. Louis. And municipalities would still exist, but their taxing power would be severely reduced. Um, And basically, as I kind of alluded to before, these countywide offices in the city would, again, merge into the county. So um, this has kind of been, whenever we talk about city-county merger, I think it's kind of fait accompli that an office like yours would disappear under any circumstance, even if the city joined as a municipality. but there's huge implications to this type of move, move for, like, everyday people. Again, I joke about the Recorder of Deeds office a lot, but if you're buying a house, it is probably the most important office that you can deal with. And I guess the question that I can start off with on this topic is, do you, in, I don't know if you've communicated with the county's Recorder of Deeds office, but do you, do you think, like, especially in, like, a two-year time span, there's going to be enough time to merge these two offices and be effective to help actual people do everything that they need by the time this this happens. Essentially, well, St. Louis County has a very good recorder of deeds. Cheryl Smith is a is a mentor of mine, and he's uh, he, he's a good recorder of deeds. Uh, if and let me be the first to say that if my office were to go away, it would not in in the effort of efficiency, it would not anger me in one bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if if my office were to go away and it, and the people felt of the city of St. Louis felt like they didn't get as much representation and they're not as close to their representatives and, and, and they feel like the merge with the, with the county is not as a, an efficient way of government for them, then it would anger me. Um, I'm not the recorder of deeds for life. I'm not going to be there for 38 years. Um, I have some changes and improvements I want to make to recorder of deeds office and then I like to uh, move out of politics or move on to something else. Um, it, this is uh, not a, a position that I'm a millennial, so I don't, four years or eight years in an office is, uh, is, is actually 
daunting to me. So um, okay, now I'm going to make the argument that, that I'm not a millennial because I've been here for ten years. So <laughs> anyways, I, I am, so, I'm an old millennial. I was good. Yeah, me too. So I, I think. Uh, if, if if you had to choose between uh, recorded deeds of Michael Butler or Gerald Smith, you'd be in good hands either way. Yeah. Um. In in the merging of the, of of our offices and it becoming appointed, you're still gonna get the you still have a a, a function in the office. I think we're I'm gonna work to make some improvements and with it whether better uh, better together's uh, dream comes fruition or not, that hopefully my office will be a uh, an example of what the the merge office will be. I have a feeling I'm going to take the next question that Jason wanted to ask, but I'm going to do it anyway. From a political, broader standpoint, what would losing some of the elected offices that now serve both for Democratic and African-American representation Oh, thank you for asking that question. I was hoping Because we're yes. not just talking about the county offices. There's no mayor. There's no board of aldermen president. And no there's prosecutor. No comp- there's no, no comptroller, comptroller under this. Right. Now, here's where we get politically. So I think you guys had a had a talk with uh, Mike Jones recently. Yes. And the best part of his conversation was the difference between policy and politics. And I learned a lot through that conversation. I actually had a conversation with him later about it, as a lot of folks are very much policy-minded thinking and not so much politically-minded uh, personalities nowadays. And when you say old and new, I'm a little bit of both. I like to think about things both ways power versus policy and policy wise this makes you know sometimes the city county merger makes a lot of sense and i've always said privately that we're gonna the city and county are gonna merge eventually but only when the african-american community is ready and i don't believe the african-american african-american community is ready uh power wise or politically wise for a city county merger when you talk about eliminating uh african-american held offices in the city where we have now have seven of nine citywide offices, you're going to make a lot of African-American community members very angry about that, and they're going to probably vote against it. And then on the other side, I think African-Americans in the county don't see themselves enough in county government in order to support a city-county merger. Now, you have uh, one a city, a county-wide African-American holder, which, which is newly uh, prosecuted attorney Wesley Bell, who won an amazing race. Until you see... Um, another African-American county executive or at least more minority uh, Latino or African-Americans in countywide office, you're not going to get the buy-in from African-Americans like you want to. It's a very limited pool to run in, though. They have much fewer elected offices in St. Louis County. And and let's talk about... But quite a bit elected officials at the the municipal level. Let's talk about the numbers here. And this is something that city-county merger people may be uncomfortable talking about, but it needs to be discussed head on. Mm -hmm. In In this setup... Basically, you're going to have a voting jurisdiction since the city of St. Louis doesn't exist and you can't run in basically a a 50-50 African-American white jurisdiction anymore. I understand the voting age is different. I think it's slightly majority white, Mm -hmm. but it's clear. It's clear. You're the recorder of deeds in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Most of the citywide officials are black. You clearly have a great chance at winning a citywide office. If you're Mm -hmm. Mm African-American. You're changing it to 63-37. Yes. And yes... Wesley Bell was elected in a 75-25 environment, but he ran against a person who had huge negatives and barely campaigned. With Charlie Dooley, he was appointed initially, and he had the support of you know, labor unions, trade unions, what I would call, and people may not like me saying this, the white political democratic establishment for a while mm-hmm. until they tossed him to the curb in 2014. You know, There's also the Carla May example that people bring up, and I'm, I think that some people undersell how well she did in that race. Oh, she did extremely so, well. So I, I don't want to say like that was a fluke or anything because she won 
because she worked hard. Definitely not a fluke with that but margin. What I'm trying to say is these three examples, while I think they're important, can could arguably be seen as outliers. Or I exceptions think, that prove the rule. Well, I think you have to look outside of St. Louis uh, as a uh, a partial, a possibility of the future with with the city county emergency. And the truth is, um, while I think you're right, there is a there will be less of a chance of um, of myself winning a, a countywide race or, or a merged uh, race. I don't. I also don't limit myself to to saying that I wouldn't win such a race. Um, so if you look over on the other side of the the, the state of Kansas City, um, a merged St. Louis city and county has about the same demographics as a Kansas City currently. Um, about thirty, uh, about thirty percent, a little over thirty percent of uh, Kansas City is African American. They have, they have, they've had an African American mayor for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had African American uh, uh, citywide holders. They've had African American police chiefs, fire chiefs. But what they don't, what they have that we don't have is they have Freedom Incorporated. They have an African American organization say, I, I, that is I, very politically and power based, mm-hmm. and really um, galvanizes African American uh, community and vote as a whole. Much different than how we do. I was just going to say, and I'm not an expert on Kansas City politics, but it does seem to me that there's less racial animosity between the white Democratic Party in Kansas City and the black Democratic Party. Absolutely. Here, Here, there is open hostility between the two at times. Sometimes there's cohesiveness. I'm not saying it's like, I'm not saying it's absolute, but it's like, it's much more hostile here. So now we're getting to the crux of the issue. Yeah. It's not about the county or the city merger. It's not about uh, the demographics of, of the city and demographics of the county. It's about our racial differences. And when you get to that crux of that, when you, when you, when you realize that, city and county merger is not going to fix that. City, uh, a city county merger, a, a airport deal, bringing a better airport, um, some of the other uh, big, t- bringing a soccer team is not going to fix our real issue of racial equity. It's, until we, 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 we uh, take on racial equity head on, until we have leaders that are willing to sacrifice for each other and are willing to, to, to tell it straight and willing to get rid of the bad apples within our, our government and within uh, our, our society and within the private sector of, uh, of St. Louis, then we're, none of these other little fixes are going are gonna to do anything but, but move, the, move the tables on, uh, move the chairs uh, on the floor. Because you could argue that the setup would allow Democrats of whatever party to succeed more in countywide offices. You could probably have Republicans elected in the Republican pockets of this merged jurisdiction, but you saw with McCaskill's results, Van, uh, Van Ostrin's results within those areas that you could probably, if you wanted to, box out Republicans well, from countywide offices this, if that, you want to. That had been a concern of Republicans maybe in the 80s, but you look at the results now, the Republicans are basically dead in St. Louis County anyways. If they couldn't get Rick Stream elected over Steve Sanger in the worst environment for a Democratic countywide candidate maybe ever, it's just never going to happen. So I, mean, I, I think that that's less of a concern now. Sure, but it raises the point that, you know, you now have, I guess, sort of the space and the population to do it. So let's segue, I guess, into the whole you are also chair of the City Democratic <laughs> Party and say 
what do you do with the committee that you earn to get the cohesiveness in an effort to make it better for African-American candidates oh, to get sort a, of a freedom a, a thing? A merged county city Democratic Party will <laughs> not be cohesive, Rachel. I'm, I'm telling you that right now. City. I'm but, saying let's start in the city. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen with this mega entity and the mega party. But what he has control over right now until yeah. 2020 or whenever this happens, if this happens, is the city Democratic Party. So where do you start with the city Democratic Party? Rachel, you've been at some of our meetings. Uh, I have. And I don't think you've been to one yet where I've been chair. Um, I do not think so. Gotcha. No. The atmosphere has changed quite a bit. Um, I, th- I think what what I bring to the city central democratic committee that's different from um, from from past folks is that um, I know who our real enemies are. For what I've witnessed for the past two years, being a central committee member and then being elected for uh, two years before that, before I became chair, was um, we did a lot of infighting within the city. And what I bring is that I, when I went to Jefferson City, I know who our real enemies are. Our, our real enemies are actually Republicans, um, not the differences in opinion we have here in the city. Because when you go to Jefferson City, they, we're all we're all we're say, all far left Democrats. Yeah, and you, you use a good example that all the time. Fred Wessels Fred is a Wessels. great example. Of I was that. just going to say yes. that you read and He my was mind. the perfect example when Fred Wessels was to the city was a conservative Democrat. Yeah. Everybody would talk about how he was so conservative. When Fred Wessels got to Jefferson City. He was a progressive. Like yeah. he, those he, when he when he got there, I think some of the Republicans thought they could work with him, and and he did do some good stuff on on opi- on, uh, on opioids and trying to redu- uh, reduce the uh, the opioid ec- epidemic with partners with Republicans. But he found out really quickly, like I am a leftist Democrat here in Jefferson. Did City. Donna Berger find that out? I think I think I, she's legitimately moderate Democrat for what it's worth. Well, let's not let's not go I there. Think that, um, <laughs> I think that I think that. Bringing that atmosphere to the central committee has shifted our our plan uh, our plans and our our uh, our personality as far as organization. The second thing is, I like to focus more on what we agree on than what we disagree on. There's a lot more that we agree on. In the Democrat Central Committee from the city and the county, um, we agree on increasing minimum wage. We we supported Prop B this this time around. The Central Committee, even there was a there was a lot of tension. We 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 uh, supported Clean Missouri. Yeah. Um, we also. Got together this time around and decided uh, to to make a stance on some judge races. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna be a little more forward thinking and and work on the things that we agree on because those are the changes that we can make. So when the, and the thing about the Central Committee, I will tell is that there's a good mix between race. Now we talk about our racial issues. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a there's a lot of different viewpoints in the Democrat Central Committee and being able to bring those voices together. Being able to organize those voices to uh, by, and solve some of our racial issues to come together on on, on very important policy issues is an example of what we can do uh, th- throughout the, the region as a city as a whole. And if we're able to be successful in the Central Committee, we can be successful in anything else. Do you think, though, that you've changed sort of the underlying dynamics? Like the atmosphere may be different by sort of, you know, getting everyone rowing in the same direction, but you can still have dissension in the boat, even if the coxswain is like, you know, hey, keep rowing. Um, People are still I think I think you probably speak to other. a lot of Central Committee members, and they would, they would agree that a lot of the dynamics of the organization have changed for the better and uh, that – uh, we're going to continue to see that. So we're going to go through strategic planning process with the Central Committee as well. A lot of uh, something that's haven't happened in a while. All the plans. I know. Plan uh, all of the things. Plan the work and work the plan. Yeah. And uh, I think that we're, you're going to see us uh, come out of that p- process with a lot more success. I, I, I hesitate to bring this issue up because I get down a rabbit hole that I never can get out of. But I do want to talk a little bit about Clean Missouri because I think that some of the African-American officials in the county – 
So I'm talking like Maria Chappelle Nadal, mm-hmm. Rachel Prouty, Kevin Windham, maybe like Alan Gray, too. I haven't talked to them. They are incredibly alarmed about clean Missouri because they see the writing on the wall and they see their districts becoming more white under this. Maybe not going from 70% to 2%, but maybe 70% to 50%. I haven't sensed the same concern among African-American legislators just because of the geography, especially when you get to the House. There's only so much space you can go to before you run out of people. We found that out. Like, I'm in Gina Mitten's district. Mm -hmm. Her district goes from, I guess, some parts of the southwest side to Kirkwood. After a while, you run out of space there, and it's going to be a Democratic district no matter what. Is that why, like, city Democrats aren't, especially African-American Democrats, aren't as alarmed about clean Missouri? Because the impact on the whole racial components is not going to be as stark as maybe in the county? Well, I think what... There's a lot that you can say about clean Missouri um, in the process that happened with clean and, and all the things that we had to um, all the misinformation that we had to correct uh, over the over time, uh, especially for African-American elected officials uh, who had give, been given misinformation first before they were given information about what clean Missouri does. So I have a different perspective because I actually went through a redistricting process when I was elected in 2012. I was the first one elected in my state representative district. I was I um, I was I was working in the state Senate while redistricting was occurring. And I actually wasn't gonna run until somebody called me and said, hey, there's this new district and you should think about running this district. And his name was Representative Chris Carr at the time. So um, I had actually, I lived I lived in, in the city, I lived uh, in, in the county, so I was able to move into the district uh, prior to, to filing and then running that district because I lived in the same county. I've been through the process. I think a lot of the legislators uh, and some African-American legislators who are new, are not familiar with the with the exact process of uh, of redistricting and are have heard the misinformation information about fifty fifty districts. There's this term fifty fifty. Yeah, fifty fifty is a term for competitiveness. It's not a term for. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Racial, I, I, I don't I totally think, agree I don't think that. that's going to happen. But I think the concern, especially North County, is there's still going to be Democratic districts, but they're going to be less African American districts, and it would allow a white candidate to win. So. And because I, I, I know that there's language in clean Missouri trying to protect against that. But so, the, the question is, what does that actually mean? And so I think that's the, that's the unknown. We have the largest black caucus in the history of the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. We also have the longer, largest congressional caucus in the history of the United States today mm-hmm. in 2019. Um, there are also, there are, one pickup African-American Senate seat in, the, in, the, in North St. Louis County. And, there, and then there's at least one other pickup African-American House seat. So... The, the the black caucus in, in Jefferson City can grow even stronger. So the the difference is, I think that the the message that was given to some to, to some folks is that uh, just out of fear was that the, that uh, African American uh, leadership and African American representation is going to be diluted and not given in a factual way. Rather than if you look at the the uh, how redistricting occurred last time and the language that's in clean Missouri that is almost taken directly from some court cases that protect uh, African-American districts um, is it, it, sufficient. Lastly, it's important to know that Clean Missouri didn't change anything about redistricting as far as uh, the Voting Rights Act, as long as the Voting Rights is intact. The Voting Rights Act, the federal law, supersedes whatever we did with Clean Missouri as a state law. So as long as the, federal, the Voting Rights Act is intact, we're gonna provide. We're gonna, uh, you know, provide uh, African American representation through the Voting Rights Act. When, if and when that goes away, if it goes away, 
then at least now we have some protection in clean Missouri. When before, without clean Missouri passed, we had no protections. Well, and then African American districts will be in there would be in in a in a hostile environment. Well, you had Republicans. Republicans like majority minority districts because it makes the rest of the surrounding area more Republican. So you had well, that protection. Well, I think I think that <laughs> therein lies more of a political talk of who partners together I'm, on, I'm gonna, on different. I'm going to just uh, stop it there because yes. like, we can we can go on forever. But I do yes, want to in the last few minutes I do want to talk about the state of the Missouri Democratic Party because I know you've been thinking about this a lot. So after 2018, Claire McCaskill is gone. Um, Nicole Galloway is the last Democrat standing from a statewide office perspective. And barely hung on. Against a interesting opponent. Yeah. I'm going to just keep it at that. You have the two congressmen, Lacey Klain and Emanuel Cleaver, who have the most seniority and have the most power. But there's, it's unclear whether they want to wield that power to shape the Missouri Democratic Party. They could be more interested in wielding, power, power. Or wielding power in Congress. National power. So I think there's a real power vacuum here. And I think there's unknowns about who's going to be the gubernatorial candidate and all yeah. the other down-ballot candidates. Um, what's your thought on this? Because I, I think that there is opportunity here, but there's also kind of this weird limbo period where there's not like, like Chris Coster is not going to be walking through that door with $40 million next Correct. year. Neither you know, is Claire McCaskill. Neither is Claire McCaskill. Neither is Jason Nixon. J. Nixon. Neither is Jason Kander. Jason Kander is probably not going to be be there as well. Correct. So it, it, it opens the opportunity, but I bet, I've said this before, at this point in the campaign, like the year before a statewide election, you should have had like a an obvious Democratic gubernatorial candidate by now, and he or she should have raised like 10 or $15 million for what's going to be a tough campaign. So that's a long windup. I'm going to You're let fine. you talk now. I, I think that um, I, I think that the 20, 2018 put a little more wrinkles on what happened in 2016 as far as the, the national, uh, national politics and the National Democratic Party. Um, I want to be the first to say that Claire McCaskill has always been a uh, role model of mine. I went to University of Missouri grad school and decided to run for office mostly because Claire McCaskill did. Claire McCaskill started out in the state in the state house like I did, and she actually went on to a county office and then ran for for statewide office. And now I'm in a county office, and I'm not thinking about running for statewide. I can tell you that. Okay, but <laughs> you preempted um, my last question. Yeah, you thought you were going to make news today, didn't you, Jason? <laughs> I think that um, I, I think that Claire McCaskill is a great leader, but. Missouri, the Demo our Democratic Party can see some benefit with with some new leadership. And let's look at an example of in the gubernatorial race for the Republicans uh, in 2016, they didn't have a clear winner. Mm -hmm. And actually the guy that won was the one guy that nobody thought was going to win in the primary. Um, and what they were able to do is sometimes primaries are a good thing. Sometimes having, having a strong primary contest, and what we saw definitely in the Republican gubernatorial race last time around, was that it built a lot of energy. It built a it, it built a lot of factions that had to end up coming together, and it and it and it added a votes that were actually higher than a Democratic total was even in 2012 and 20, 2008. So, the fact that we're going to have some gubernatorial candidates, some new energy come out from all across the state and build some energy, may be a good thing for us. But most importantly, with Claire Claire's uh, organization and Claire's strategy not at the top anymore, it allow, it allows for a new strategy. And allows for what we're hoping a forward thinking and a strategy that's going to be for Missouri moving forward. Um, some people would believe that Claire's strategy was mostly for a 
2006-2002 campaign that she carried on in 2018. For a map that doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Like so, Northeast Missouri is no longer a Democratic stronghold. Southeast Missouri is no longer a Democratic stronghold. Now let stronghold. me be clear about our former leader of the party, someone who's going to still be around and still be a very important piece of part about Claire, is that Claire has been pretty spot on about her uh, interpretation of, of what's going on in Missouri politics. And she's still right about what it takes to be elected in Missouri. I think what and what I've been dying to say for a little while was, like I said, I love Claire, but I think she has she's been in a little bit in denial about why she lost, and it's because she didn't give enough voters a reason to 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 vote for her. I mean, voters want to know what you've done. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, in 2019, people want to know what you've done, and Claire, especially African American voters, didn't give us a reason to vote for her. Um, the biggest thing that Claire did in, in, in D.C. was she changed the entire atmosphere around earmarks. Mm-hmm. And she made the Senate more focused on moving the country forward and not moving just their little area, their little uh, fiefdom in, in, in their city or their state forward and getting little dollars. She's had a different, totally different personality than Roy Blunt. Mm-hmm. So, and Claire really ran on that very well back in 2012. Um, this time around, she didn't have another big win in order for folks to say we need to send her back to to DC. I think like I said I think she's spot on about everything else about the dissension within our party, within the the difference in issues and how we need to work together, about how a Missouri Democrat is much different from coastal Democrats. Like we can't run a Californian in, in a New York campaign here in Missouri. Mm-hmm. But we also as, as far we also as Democrats in the city, at the state level in the state legislature and even as Congress people or, or senators have to give people reason to vote for us. And across the country, normal citizens can't find a reason to vote for Democrats. So, I mean, what do, what should party leaders, all the cities, central committee chairs, et cetera, I mean, how do you get the people out when, you know, get the candidates, get the people out, when you sit there and you're like, we're going to get wiped out again in 2020? Like, what, what should motivate a candidate to want to go up to someone who is basically going to be and an, an incumbent? We've got to pray for Nancy Pelosi, number one. <laughs> okay. Because, and Nancy Pelosi did it last time. She provided us uh, the Affordable Health Care Act. It was her leadership in the House that gave actually a very good version of the Affordable Care Act. It was the Senate that really messed it up. And Claire McCaskill was very big on um, supporting the Affordable Care Act as it came out of the House and was very, very good on on, on that issue. But a lot of Republicans and a few Democrat senators really kind of turned it more into Obamacare. Um, We've got to get a win. People... Now, people understand that Democrats are fighting, that we're fighting, that we're fighting for this, we're fighting for that, for that. but they want to see us win. We've got to get a, a, a big win, and we've got to change something. We've got to get something done in D.C., get something done in Jefferson City here, uh, and, and then get something done here in the city. And uh, those are the types of things that are uh, that people can look from the local level to the national level that, hey, Democrats are getting things done for the better. So if let's just say let's go with the assumption that Nicole Galloway is not going to run for governor because when she was on our show, she said she wanted to serve a full four year term. She may be looking at things down the road. She's what? I think she's like 36. She's out. Yeah. She she's not time. much older than she doesn't us. Need, yeah. She doesn't need to run. For Plus governor three small next. children and two, well, three. I, I, I'm not like I'm not using that as an excuse. Oh, no, no, not no, no, to no. Run. no. I'm, I'm saying that, you know, among those other things to I, be considering right now. I, I understand. But. If it's not her, I know that Scott Sifton has been brought up as a possible candidate, but there's some misgivings about him from the quote-unquote progressive uh, wing of the party because they feel like his views on criminal justice are not super progressive. 
And then after that, you have like Russ Carnahan, who who again is has the name but lost to Mike Parson by ten points. And then just you know, Sly James's name gets thrown around, but I'm not sure he's super interested in running for statewide. Or office. would have the recognition to really do well elsewhere. So, I mean, that's just for governor. We're not even talking about lieutenant governor, secretary of state, treasurer, attorney general, who all are going to be running against generally. They're not really incumbents, but they're going to be Republicans who are going to be well-funded. And And have the benefit of incumbency and that they're in the office. Mm -hmm. We talked about what you needed to do. Who are the people that actually do this, in your opinion? Or is that not known yet until next year? I think it's not known. I I think what's most important is that we rebuild the infrastructure, Um, uh, rebuild the operatives that are are, have the right strategy for 2019 and beyond. I think uh, rebuilding the 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 party leaders at the central committee level or uh, the opinion leaders at the county at county levels uh, from from not just in St. Louis City and Kansas City and Columbia, but in Springfield, in southeast Missouri, in Parma, Missouri, in, in, in Cape Girardeau, in, uh, in southwest Missouri, in, in, in Joplin, um, in finding, finding some good opinion leaders in north Missouri. We have not done very well in North Missouri, north of uh, north of Columbia, in a very long time. Yep. So finding opinion also leaders also one there. of Jason's favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I think that we've got to we've got to rebuild the infrastructure first, and then those candidates will come, and th- and that will be able to boost up our boost up our numbers. So it makes a lot of these other candidates more viable. I will say this: I think that Scott Sifton has has shown a lot of leadership in Jefferson City. I think he uh, out of the other, if you're taking on Nicole Galloway, Scott Sifton is probably the highest. Um, highest seated uh, candidate that 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 is uh, that is uh, a possibility right now, and he's been very successful in the state senate. And I I think Scott Sifton's name kind of rings out a little more than a lot of other candidates that I've yeah. here. Again, but if Nicole Galloway changes her mind, even if Scott Sifton decides to run against her in a primary, I think she may be the initial front runner just because she's a statewide office holder. But that's why you have primaries to decide Stay those things. Tuned, on as that, we say. On that note, thank you, Mr. Recorder, for coming in. We'll have you back in the next year or so to get your opinion more on politics and policy. For all of our stories, that's still publicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at at R. Lipman, two P's, two N's. And you changed your Twitter name. You're Recorder <laughs> Butler now. Is that true? <laughs> Can that's you believe? Ju- I was trying to make it something cool, but you, you can't make Recorder Butler any cooler than that. Could be Butler for for Butler Deeds <laughs> or Mr. Deeds, Deeds Man. Mr. Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds. (laughs) Until next time, so long.